Welcome back to Venture Studio. We are the podcast where your host, Dave Lerner, entrepreneur, angel investor in 70 plus companies and director of entrepreneurship at Columbia University, interviews the founders and investors who make up New York City's entrepreneurial ecosystem. I am your producer, Kevin Weeks. This week's guest is Rafat Ali, founder of Skift. Remember, all of our shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. And make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Venture Studio. Any feedback and five-star reviews are always appreciated. Now let's hand it over to Dave to introduce Rafat. Dave? Our next guest on Venture Studio is a veteran media entrepreneur and global soul whose life journey has taken him from India to Indiana to New York to London and back again with plenty of journeys to the far places of the earth in between. And over the last five years, he and his team have quietly gone about building the leading travel intelligence company in the world from their small office here in New York City. They literally own the category. The company is called Skift. Amazingly, the Skift team has achieved all this without traditional venture money. They've raised a mere $2 million from angel and seed investors, and the company culture is humane. People work until 5.30 or 6 p.m. on weekdays and go home. No one works on weekends. To quote our guest, Rafat Ali, the Skift founder and CEO, their mantra is to do less, but more in depth, to go slow, to go fast. And everyone at Skift lives the brand, which is human-centered and built for the long haul. In my view, Rafat's story is also a story of entrepreneurial courage. Despite being an experienced veteran CEO whose last company, PaidContent.org, had sold for a tidy sum to The Guardian, two years into the building of Skift, things had gotten a bit dicey. He just couldn't raise money from institutional VCs, and it was a wrenching experience, no doubt. He and I explore how they were forced to turn inward as a company and how in doing so they rediscovered their core mission and values. His is a story of doubling and tripling down on themselves and embracing their unique vision come hell or high water. I highly recommend you check out his blog, rafat.org, which has some of the finest writing you will find in the tech slash media ecosystem. In one post in particular, he talks about the aftermath of pitching dozens and dozens of VCs and of a trip to Iceland he took with his small team in those early days to reboot and take a breath. He writes, The yo-yo ride of the endless pitches and its attendant wildly swinging hopes and emotions was over. For me, that meant turning inwards. That has been a theme in my life for decades, going back to this pair of Indian magazine ads that had lodged themselves in my brain since I was a teenager growing up there, and I had kept these ads with me as I traveled and lived around the world since. And now I'll read from the ads themselves that inspired him as a youth. There's nothing more true in life than taking your own decision, for it, in turn, decides the course of your destiny. Will your decision bring a better future, or none at all? Will it make you happy, or will you regret it? Will it bring you closer to your goal, or lead you away? Can you really tell? But you can take the easy way out, too, follow in everyone's footsteps. Or you can do what one in a million does, follow your own instinct, just like we do. Your dream is not a dream. It's an opportunity to prove yourself. Maybe it will take a lifetime to realize your dream. Maybe you'll get lucky and it'll happen overnight. Maybe people will laugh at you. Maybe you'll have the last laugh. Maybe your dream won't come true. 
but at least you have a dream. Unlike many who've given up without really trying, telling you that dreamers can't be doers, so you do something against all odds. You prove them wrong, just like we do. Okay, I hope you enjoy getting to know the one and only Rafat Ali, CEO of Skift. Let's head on up to the Venture Studio office. In the office, baby. Rafat, good morning. Great to have you on. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I thought we'd just start by diving right into Skift, um, where you are today as a company, etc. Let's start there. Yeah, we uh, are five years old as a company. We're about in about three months. We'll be five years old as a company. Um, have gone through all the ups and downs that a lot of companies go through. Uh, we stopped calling ourselves a startup about two years ago, I think, uh, and moved into the profitable stage and now essentially revenue-funded um, as a company and growing from there. Skift is a business information company focused on the business of travel. Um, for the first uh, three years, I would say, we focus very much on cutting across all sectors of travel and covering it from a horizontal perspective. And now... Uh, over the last year and now into 2017, our focus is very much going into the uh, deeper into various subsectors of travel. So, for instance, the meetings industry, which is the meetings and conferences industry, is a part of the travel industry. So now we're going deeper into it through the coverage of it, through doing more research in it, through doing potentially conferences in it. So um, the big push for us over the next year or so um, is essentially just going deeper into a lot of the subsectors of travel and from you know two people when i think i first met you um to now 39 people and everybody's curious who the 40th person is going to be whenever <laughs> we hire this 40th person uh yeah no it's been it's been uh, a remarkable five years what would you say are your sort of main business lines right now there are three business lines and that's really my ideal world is if I can get one-third, one-third, one-third out of each of them, um, that would be amazing. Um, the first line is essentially advertising, but we don't do traditional advertising. It's all custom, what they call branded content. Other people call it native advertising. Um, so we, we work with a lot of companies in the travel industry uh, to create the right marketing programs for them for them to reach the travel industry. We're not a consumer company, so if a large um, um, cruise line wants to reach the travel agency in the travel industry, and both of them are readers and users of Skift, so we would create those campaigns for a cruise line to reach the right travel agents, or hotel companies want to reach um, suppliers or other real estate companies in the industry, etc. So, um, so, the, so that's one line of business. The second is our research um, division, Skift Research. We do uh, a lot of research reports around different trends in the travel industry, and that's offered as a as a yearly subscription, anywhere from seven, at this point eighteen hundred dollars uh, for a single user to thirty five thousand, sometimes fifty thousand dollars for an enterprise um, to subscribe. So. We're putting a lot of effort it, the, on research. We went from essentially freelancers 
uh, less than a year ago to now five people in the team. Um, so for us as a small company, that's a lot of effort. I'm putting a lot of effort into the subscription efforts as well. And the third line of business is our conferences. Uh, we do this one big conference called Skiff Global Forum in New York for the last three years. This is going to be our fourth year. We do end of September. It has grown to be really one of the largest, most prestigious big picture conferences in the travel industry relatively quickly. And now we're expanding taking that franchise and taking it to different um, continents, starting with Europe. So we have our first Skift Forum Europe on April 4th in London. Um, so we're in the final stages of it at this point. 2012, I remember you were getting this going, but it was probably marinating for a while. You had sold paidcontent.org, your previous company. Correct. 2010-ish, maybe? Or? 2010, yeah. 2010. Sorry, 2008. 2008, and I left in 2010. Oh, you left in 2010. Right. Uh, But you didn't start Skift for a couple years, but it was kind of marinating. What was the initial premise? Why did you uh, hone in on on travel? Obviously, it's 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 a massive industry, but yeah, I I was when I sold my first company, left left, and then I started traveling. Traveled, I think, 12 or 13 different countries over two years. Um, Not that the idea of Skift was born uh, like suddenly in the middle of Mongolia or something, uh, which I did go to Mongolia. Um, But how broadly we look at the world of travel has certainly been informed by all my travels. Um, I came back um, and started looking at creating, and my my background is in creating vertical media companies, what we call vertical media, focusing on a subject, going deep into it. And uh, when we started, initially I started looking at travel to do actually a consumer travel startup um, trying to learn about the industry. And as I started reading the news and trade and business publications in the travel industry, realized how bad they were. And so figured that's where taking my previous experience of focusing on a sector, which is what we did with paid content, um, and just going deep into it, uh, one travel was is just a lot bigger than media itself. Two, it's just so global. The companies in it are very global. Um, it's not like media is. It's, it's not like travel is in any kind of secular decline or anything. If you know, if anything, it's in the opposite direction. So, um, and a lot of the things that I saw with paid content, which was the silos in a lot of industries like media, like tech, and like finance, were collapsing. As a result of digital, as a result of globalization, consumers taking, essentially consumers being in charge, um, was happening, had been happening in travel, but there was not a business information brand that spoke to that and and covered the travel industry from, from, a con- from consumer behavior changes happening to digital changes to globalization, what that means to the world of travel. Um, Instead, there were a lot of companies that were there that were focused on just airlines or just hotels or just tourism or just cruises. So we said we think there's a need to cut across these sectors to talk about the the business of travel in a larger sense. And that really brought us to it. As you very well know, our journey since then, um, it was predicated on media and data, building media and data companies to get, or at least products together, which is um, relatively atypical media companies typically get started as media companies, data companies typically get started as data companies. And 
you know, a lot of times they get combined down the line by investors or, you know, one buys the other typically. Um, we thought that we could potentially do it together. Um, and it also sounded uh, great as a premise to show that you can build a very large company in it. Um, you know, our first pitch decks uh, that that I believe you did see, um, you know, called us the Bloomberg of travel. We'll have data services that would rival Bloomberg in the travel industry, etc. Which you know sounded great, but did 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 I know what I was talking about then? Not really. Um, media is what I knew. Media is what I do know. Um, not to say that. So you know, long I can and we can get into it if you wanted to. Um, you know, we 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 took that premise. We did create uh, one or two data services. They were um, not necessarily that successful, um, but also we just didn't have enough resources to put into it to begin with, and we didn't have the expertise. I think that's kind of the um, the the short answer to a long journey. <laughs> then, but um, and then we we ditched the data services, found our true purpose, which is we're a media company that obviously, you know, these days, how can you build anything without having data at the base of it? Um, and specifically in our research uh, arm, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of that. Um, but uh, to build some separate data product with separate business lines that would require a whole separate infrastructure, divorced in many ways from media, which has a very different cadence um, to build. Um Certainly with a small company, it was not possible. Down the line, I still believe in the value of, of, of obviously data. Well, I still believe in the value of subscription services. Um, and obviously data lends itself very well to it. So as we're building it down the line, I think acquiring something would make a lot of sense for us, something that, that we can tuck in and, and, and build as part of our SCIF research arm. I think that's kind of where we're going. Um you know we're not there yet. We're still small enough. Uh, we're 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 still small for doing any kind of meaningful acquisitions. Um, but uh, but hopefully, yeah, that's that's really where we're going. Yeah. Now you say you're, you're small, but you are the right now. Five years in, it's clear you're the leading player in you know. Oh yeah. Uh, global travel intelligence. But, yeah, I mean we. I'll humbly say this, or maybe not so humbly. We own this industry. Yeah. Um, and we. From a from a from you know from a media perspective, from a business news business intelligence perspective, we own it. So, um, when we became the largest news site, this is by traffic or or, or you know uh, users to to our website. Um, two years in, and so that was not that it was easy, but it wasn't that hard either. Meaning it. Yes, it was, you know, obviously we were good and we continue to be amazing now and have become a lot better now at, at in the editorial coverage of the travel industry. But it just the existing players were really bad in, in, in the digital sphere. These were pre-web companies fumbling, bumbling into digital, like a lot of industries, not, not just true in travel. This is true in a lot of other sectors. And so, um, you know, we you just look at the the. the people that talk to us um, you know the biggest the biggest CEOs on the planet in the travel industry they come to speak at our conferences we interview them very regularly talk to them we meet them etc so CMOs and CEOs um, 
in airlines, in hospitality, in tourism, in cruises, in online travels, the biggest, the biggest players. Um, you ask them at this point, what do they rely on daily? It's at this point, it's skip. So, you know, now our business is how do we super serve them? How do we become a bigger and bigger part of their professional lives in terms of the utility that we provide? Um, at some point, you know, we're still going. There's a lot of subsectors in travel, and obviously, growth internationally is is still huge. But at some, you know, conceivably, at some point, we'll hit a ceiling in terms of audience growth, just pure audience growth. And then, and then, you know, the challenge is how do we then continue to super serve them, create more products that they will buy or, or spend money with us. Yeah, this is your whole philosophy of becoming indispensable. Yes. Yeah. I to the to the core of your users, and my previous company was was built on that. Even though you know I was much younger then, and and I guess didn't really think it through. Didn't I? Don't think I ever uh, created a philosophy around it. I think with Skift now that I'm older, um, uh, I have the luxury of being able to create that. So. <laughs> right, right. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you know very much. I've I almost talk about our, you know, people talk about unique visitors to your properties. I talk about unique residents, and so how do we super serve the top people? And when we when we do anything, um, we launch any new product or, or or create anything new or or doing something. The biggest what we do is there's one persona, and really there's one person. This woman. Mariam Bunny Kareem, she's the CMO of, of um, Hyatt Hotels. Uh, I don't know why I have her. It could be anybody else. It's just somehow it's stuck. So, you know, a lot of times when I think through new products and new services, I'm thinking, what is she? Is it going to be useful to her? Um, right. And um, And if not, then why are we doing it? So, you know, in many ways, um, Having a human face to the peop- to uh, to your user, um, you know, just simplest of things, really, um, makes tons of sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's what's guided us in so many ways. You're so grounded. It's like, like she's your customer archetype. You keep her in mind. Things don't get out of control. You, it's it's it doesn't get too ethereal. It gets you know what it, what is the value here? How how can I make her happy? Keep her engaged. All right. So you you know it's five years in. Um, you've reached this, you know, sort of preeminent place in owning the global intelligence layer in travel. Knowing you, I know it wasn't easy in many respects. Uh, it's been maybe internally tumultuous. Mm-hmm. I remember even two years in, you were already confronting some of the tensions between, um, you know, the pressure to scale, to raise money, um, it was maybe a confusing time in the media landscape back mm-hmm. then. There were a lot of strange yeah. things going on, and you were kind of right in the middle of it all. Right. Um, and, you know, this show having a big focus on investing, etc., maybe we can mine that a little bit and go back a few years and tell us what was going on in that time. Yeah, Um it seems so far away at this point, which which I which I'm happy to to have to say that's the feeling. But yeah. um, we raised obviously a seed seed um, money for um, Skift. You were investor um, in us and uh, early angel investor, um, and 
typically, obviously, once you raise a seed, uh, you raise Series A, you raise Series B, that's just the path you take. Um, or at least that's what everybody tells you, or that's what just the norm is. Obviously, there's a reason for it, too. Um, and um, and we, a year, two years in, we raised initially about a couple of million in a couple of different tranches as part of the seed, um, which, in hindsight, it was really the, the a good amount, and I can talk about why I think that's a good amount for a lot of companies, our type of companies. Um uh, and then we tried to raise Series A. Uh, you 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 obviously went through the journey with us um, back then. Um, was uh, six eight months? I think I was out in the market um, trying to raise money. My co-founder Jason Clampett, who you've met obviously many times as well. Um, well, how we divided things um, was that he was focused internally. I was focused externally, uh, trying to raise money. And he was focused more on the editorial product side than, than the business side because that's his background and that's his role in the company. Um, and uh, relatively quickly, we realized this was going to be hard. And th- those, I think, six to eight months were certainly the most tumbling period of my professional career. Having been in the media tech world for 15 years plus at this point, not that I thought it'd be cakewalk, but I thought, okay, well, I mean, you know, I, I can raise the money um, based on the context that I have uh, in the venture world um, or strategic investor. You had sold your last company to Guardian yeah. for a nice sum, and, and you knew everyone in the industry. Yeah. 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 And so I think that um, in hindsight, you know, I'll blame myself that we didn't know what we were getting into. Um, I think that um, investors, venture capital works in a very on a very different trajectory in terms of the of the returns that it needs to show versus a company our size that that um, that has a different trajectory of growth and an exit and expectations. Um, and uh, not to say that media is not is should not be backed by venture capital because obviously a lot of them do. Uh, and some of the larger ones have, you know, great exits, um, but those are rare in general. Um, great exits in general across any industry would be rare. But um, uh, so, you know, I think we learned that investors, while investors did want to hear big scale and we were trying to show future potential big scale based on the data services that we were trying to create, it just, we were never able to show exactly how we were going to be able to do it um and uh, you know at the, at the end of the day you know as is typical we had a lot of investors interested but we, we couldn't get a lead and so at some point you know six eight months into it um we just decided okay this is not happening let's just focus we pulled the plug and um yeah there was a specific moment in time um this is summer of 2014 um we booked our first company trip uh, six months before that to go to Iceland. This was uh, we were ten ten of us as a company um, with the idea that we would celebrate, you know, our closing of Series A in Iceland because that was the timeline we thought we would have. Um, turns out we didn't, and you know, I think in many ways the Iceland trip was seminal for us um, in the sense that yes, we had tons of fun. Um, it brought the team together, obviously a small team in so many ways, but it also 
you know the 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 discussion there was um okay how do we behave as if we bootstrap from here and that point somewhere in that 2014 period we had three months of money left and so this was a fact that i did shield from uh the rest of the team except for me jason and and our cfo who was part-time and is still a part-time cfo mm. um but um and you know then i focused internally and and realized that obviously data was a thing that potentially could work it just was too long term we didn't have the resources to, to do it and i can't build a business hoping that we would start getting returns 2 years from now in terms of revenues and so it just was not going to be so we came upon our a few months later was our first conference um skiff global forum in new york that threw out a lot of cash for us and yeah. and and super profitable right. and so that really gave us the cash to survive and then um and then we you know then we learned the cyclicalities of our business etc so um uh, that really saved us in so many ways it's it's i think that um our biggest lesson especially trying to raise later rounds was that um you know investors are in many ways justifiably skeptical um of an expertise that you don't have not previously shown i mean this you know i don't know if this is blanket state like this seemed like a blanket statement but certainly in our case this was the case where my previous experience was not in creating data services and um and and the and the and the travel industry is very complex so um a lot of investors don't understand the industry itself there aren't that many domain expertise travel investors um the ones that are invest in travel companies not in media companies that focus on travel so you know i think there was a lot of those things that we ran up against um and a lot of the pains that media has been going through over the last couple of years we went through them maybe a couple of years earlier than that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and just to to dig a little deeper into the, the that year i know it was it was not the most pleasant year uh, of your life but you know as i remember um you you and you just mentioned it you had a lot of quote unquote interest there were a lot of conversations going on mm-hmm. and and in in fact there was one sort of incident where a very prominent you know new york city entrepreneur and investor gave you a term sheet mm-hmm. towards the end and i remember and disappeared. vividly <laughs> yeah gave you a term sheet right and it was like great okay we finally have that term sheet and then he like went off the face of the earth and you didn't hear back from him probably no. have not heard back from him since no he did email like <laughs> six eight months later and says uh, rafat i want to come in and explain what happened i said no you don't have to and then no 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 i want to come in and explain what happened so he did i think you know this entrepreneur had his own preoccupations and he uh, there's some crisis in his uh, in few of his other companies so he disappeared you know if you you would know the entrepreneur you probably know what those are but um yeah I, you know every story that you hear about investors in media i say yeah i went through that yeah i went through that i went through this too um and you know i i was i was probably pitched i'm going to say 50 to 75 investors or something over over a relatively short <laughs> period of time in the, in new york in san francisco in la um some international as well 
Um, and you know, I was such an uh, my I could literally pitch people in my sleep. My wife would say. Um, so, you know, my wife was there, she saw me to go through these ups and downs and says, I would, I don't want you to ever go through that again, um, that phase again. But, you know, I think I learned a lot, um, of things and really it's just, we all, the biggest lesson we learned is to, is to just focus internally and, and build that's, you know, external, trying to focus externally, um, and trying to be as a small team, it's very hard to be able to do both at the same time. Obviously, if you're a giant company like you know Uber or Airbnb or some you know anybody smaller than that, then you have a structure that allows the CEO and the founders to be able to um, divide the time the right way. Yes. Um, it's just in our small company, it was just not possible. You know, frankly, in, in retrospect, it may have been a blessing uh, that this seemingly at the time highly unpleasant incident where the, the investor dropped off the face of the earth after giving you a term sheet, it forced you to go to turn inward, to go internal. And, you know, you've written about some of these experiences uh, on your blog, some great posts mm-hmm. at rafat.org. Thank you. Uh, and one of them, one of the comments that I plucked out that particularly intrigued me was you, you, you said, uh, quote, at all times, there is a delta between what is needed to grow a company according to the founder's vision and what the investors want. There is always a delta. In ideal times, that delta is as small as possible. But when that delta becomes too big, that's when it becomes a problem. That delta is the hole we had dug ourselves into by overpromising. But Did I write that? Wow. You wrote that. <laughs> you wrote that. I guess I was at the moment when I wrote it, but yeah. Um, but you know, it's a universal. It's universally yeah. applicable. Because yeah. everyone's telling a story to investors, right? And mm-hmm. how much of that story is what you really believe? What percentage, let's say? Yeah. And you were really out over your skis, um, you know, in that weird time in media. And you had certain ideas, and you thought you could do it, and the data and all that, and telling the story about scale for scale's sake and all that. But then, you know, the the lack of reception from the venture industry forced you to go internal with your small team, do that retreat in Iceland, and then essentially double, triple down on yourselves and on what you really wanted to do. And, and like from, from the outside, I don't know if this is accurate or not, uh, just as, as someone on the outside observing, right there is where you gained an enormous amount of conviction and strength and purpose and clarity that has propelled you in yes. pursuing three years. You know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing was that while this we were having obviously not great success on the venture capital side, the editorial was amazing yeah. and was gaining traction in the travel industry. Those were early days for us. Um, our journalists were doing great stories. We were beginning to do uh, some early research reports. We, we were beginning to do having some initial success in it. Um, our voice was having an impact on the travel industry. And so that disconnect that I said between um, sort of our impact on the travel industry and that's what we needed to double down on versus what the investors needed to see for us to become a business was becoming a wider and wider gap. And so, you know, I, instead of staying in the dark place that I was, I went to the hopeful side and the hopeful side was uh, our product and I knew what we could do with it. So, um so that's the, I think that that's essentially been the lesson when 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 in doubt, bet on your product, uh, and so um, 
instead of external factors. And I think that one of the things that has become, and I don't know if this is completely long-term, this can continue, but um, one of the things I've become very wary of is to be dependent on any external body for anything we do. Like, so for instance, partnerships of any sort. i am just become very averse to partnerships of any sort. Anything that doesn't bring us money today, um, we we can afford to be more long term now than we were, you know, a year ago. But um, but in general, I become very wary of any external dependency. So, for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, um, our conferences typically, if you're a company in the travel industry, like a media company like ours, trying to do a conference in some venue or some city, chances are because you're in the travel industry, you have contacts in those in those cities, either the tourism organizations or the meetings and conventions boards. And a lot of these, or or, or hotel companies, um, and you're able to get a deal of some sort or some partnership with any of these organizations to help you to help you in terms of costs and stuff. I've been, I'm of the school that I don't want any of those any of those partnerships because one, they will slow you down. Yeah. Two, uh, you know, what if it doesn't come through or like they fail at the last moment or like, so I've become very wary of being dependent on anybody. Um, is that very healthy long term? Uh, probably not. And so, you know, now over the last, really over the last six months and will play out over the rest of the year, we're in the process of loosening a bit in terms of after saying no to everything. And I've written about saying no quite a bit as well. Um uh, we're beginning to say yes to more selective things, and I brought in essentially my right hand ahead of BD um, six months ago. She's still relatively early in terms of her training, etc. But um, but we're beginning to do these deals. We're we're speaking to a, a very large uh, media company today, these days. And hopefully it'll actually get finalized. Maybe even today, as we speak, um, a potential video deal that that we're working on. But this is dependent on the large media company distributing it. So, um, you know, a year ago I would not have gone down this path. Um, now we can afford to. If it doesn't work, it's not going to take down the company. It's a, you know, it's a relatively small bet uh, in the scheme of things now with our company being uh, larger. So, you know, those are some of the things I've learned that came in hindsight, came out of that period. Right. Well, you enumerated a number of principles internally. You were saying, we're going to do less with more. It's the new doing more with less. We're going to slow, go slow to go fast. It's the, mm-hmm. quote, scaling up. Right. Le- less is better. Less is deep. Less is slow. Less is human. Less is humane. I mean, this is really, these are your words. Um, and you applied it to partnerships. You applied it internally to your own culture at the company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to delve into that if you're comfortable. Um, yeah. The kind, of, the kind of atmosphere and culture you have inculcated within Skift of living the brand and a humane company, what, what does that involve? Yeah, so in me- one of the things that also happened right around this time is my wife became pregnant and we had our first son, um, who's now two years old and just a joy. Um, and in many ways that, um, that also, ch- you know, I know it's a cliche, every, everyone would say, but it, but it did change it, and it does. I mean, there's a reason why it's a cliche. It does change you in many ways and you become more, 
um, you have more empathy. It just is, you know, it's it's amazing to to sort of go through the phase of of realizing you have more empathy for the world or other people. It just is, um, and um, and it and you know, I started leaving office at the ungodly hour of five fifteen, and so uh, you know. How do you reorient the company? And, you know, it's not just me. Our company is not a typical, like, you know, 20-year-olds running around type company. It's we are older founders with, you know, spouses and kids and and and, um, and not just founders now, you know, executives in the company, people in the company we've hired, salespeople, editorial people, marketing people, etc. So um, in many ways... Uh, part of being extra in part of going internal was to create a culture uh, that people would create meaningful work, but also have a real life outside of work. And um, and you know, I've obviously I've been through the other end in my previous company where I've written the past that I burned the candles on both ends and in the middle. Mm. Um, and so um, and saw the ill effects of that on my personal life in my previous uh, life and uh, also work life as well. And so in many ways, uh, after going through the, uh, um, the at least the attempt to high growth scale period of Skift and now um, pulling back on many things, you know, we said, let's create a company where peop- where we want to be long-term ourselves and the people that come to Skift and want to work at Skift, see the long-term nature of our company. And we build a company for long-term, we build careers for long-term, we build products for long-term. We, we, um, our vision about the travel industry itself is a long-term, big-picture vision. Um, so all of those things, whether coincidentally or, 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 or by design, sort of converged. And... Um, uh, also, as a small company in New York City in a very competitive market for talent, um, how do you punch above your weight in terms of hiring, in terms of getting people? You have to, to do this, which is um, you know create a very meaningful culture that you can show the differentiation tangibly to people uh, that you hire. And so um, we are at a stage where the last person that willingly left Skift was uh, February 2015, so it's over two years now. Uh, we've hired, we've fired some people that just you know comes with the nature of of, of hiring. Uh, some work, some don't. Um, but nobody has willingly left Skift in now up to over two years now. So, um, and we're hiring obviously more people, and I think that that has a profound effect on the culture of the company that we are committed to you our people long-term. Um, and um, yes, if it doesn't work out, you know, it doesn't work out. And then typically we will be first to move in terms of um, letting that person go. Um, but if we do see um, the potential and if we do hire and if we do, we're willing to take a longer time bet on people to, to, to get the right um to get the right talent and work and potential out of them, so I think that's that's helped quite a bit, uh, a huge way in terms of building our culture, building our brand, hiring people. What has also helped is that in terms of our work hours, we've become very specific. So, uh, nine thirty to five thirty, five days a week. That's it. Go home. Uh, after that, never evenings, never weekends. Um, that is 
is an ongoing struggle. I mean, it, you know, the work creeps in million ways, as you know, these days. Uh, it's very easy to do that. And, you know, sometimes, rarely, especially around our, our, our conference coming up, we have to do that just because there's just a lot of work that piles up uh, to uh, to do a conference like that, but uh, but for most part, we've never ever come to office on a weekend in five years. Um, we editorial sometimes has to work slightly longer hours because of the nature of the beast therein. Um, but even that, you know, I'm not editorial. My constant um, push and pull with editorial, and this is amazing because of uh, editorial these days. It's almost like, you know, coming out of PTSD um, for editorial, which is they've, they've, the the churn mentality has become so ingrained. Even the people that we've hired and now two years into, three years into working as Skift, uh, because that's just how the world works, that I have to periodically remind editorial that you don't really have to do these many stories. Um I literally do this pretty much at this point, probably still once a month, maybe a couple of times, well, once every couple of months. And so, which is, we don't have to do, we used to do a lot more stories on a daily basis, um, sometimes as much as 30 to 40 stories. This was, I'm going to say, three, four years ago. Now we're down to 10 stories. Uh, and, you know, if I had my way, we're down to like, here are the five great stories that we have come out with about the travel industry today. That's it. Even though our team has gone from, you know, three people to now 40 people and editorial has gone from, from really two, three people to now 11 people full time. And then freelancers, um, four or five freelancers around the world. So it's, how do we go deeper and do bigger impact, um, longer horizon, um, coverage of the travel industry. So that's really, um, on the research side, uh, we come out with two reports a month, uh, so 24. That's a lot. Um, so now we're trying to cut back, and now this year we're going to cut it back to 20 reports, uh, so from 24. Ideally, if I were starting it again, I would only do one report a month, so 12 deep research reports a year as opposed to. So So it's all, um, while we're expanding our product line, I think that, you know, for instance, the conference is working. It brings in a lot of money. It's hugely cash, you know, it's hugely profitable. So um, not that we'll have 10 conferences a year, but but let's logically expand it like we're now doing in Europe. And it's just uh, doing it in London, April 4th. Um, with all the stuff that ha- that's happening, and literally news obviously happens every day, good, good and bad, mostly bad these days. Um it just makes it even more relevant, uh, the conference itself in Europe that's coming up in two weeks. So it's just, um, and, you know, look, we're looking next year potentially at doing something in Dubai mm. to cover the, you know, Middle East and, uh, you know, rest Asian region. Uh, it's, it's a big hub of travel. Um, we're looking at something in Brazil next year as well, um, potentially, or other parts of Latin America. Again, one of the fastest growing regions in travel. So, um, all of these, we'll do it not for the sake of doing it. This is, does it make sense? Yeah. And, and, and like, for instance, video. Everybody's chasing video in media these days. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't done anything except um, on the branded content side for some of our clients you know, as part of their campaigns. Um, do we 
is there a logical reason for us to go into video on a daily video creation, Facebook video, or not really? Um, so, but we're now working on a series, as I mentioned, with this large media company that takes our expertise, stretches our muscle, potentially could be a big line of business long term. Taking, but it's a consumer video play; it's not a B two B video play. Um, but it it takes our expertise and and and. The other thing is we already have all the sales relationships with every company in travel that we need to have. And so while we're dipping into the B2B budgets now, relatively small, um, but if we have a great relationship with the CMO of any company and their organization, how do we get more money out of them outside of their B2B budgets? And so the video so then you know then that's a business strategic reason for us to look at video. Right, but there, but now it's an orchestral approach. Yes. Right? You slow down. It's like the opposite of any CEO you hear speaking, right? It's we slowed down. (laughs) Yeah. We did less. We did deeper. We ignored the noise. We said no over and over again. We consolidated. No one's working at night and on weekends. My question to you is this is if this were a venture backed situation. Would any of this be possible? I think that board would be breathing down. And, um, <laughs> people think that I, you know, hate VCs or something. That's not true. I've, I spend my life with VCs. I've got grown up in the same environment that you and a lot of other investors have grown up in. Um, uh, I think that there's a place for venture capital in our type of company. I think I mentioned like a, a two million. Like people have asked Rafat, how much? Obviously, there's no formula to this, but um, how much money should we raise uh, to make us, you know, self self sufficient? Depends on the type of company you're doing. In a consumer, bigger giant play, it'd be a lot higher. But in a, in you know, if you were to do a ballpark, I think a couple of million is an is a nice ballpark to raise um, to be able to stretch. If you can stretch it two years, that'd be amazing, uh, and. Then you know a year in into that two years, you're able to start building some of the sales and revenue infrastructure for the company. And after two years, potentially, you'll start getting some revenues for it. You may be able to raise a slightly more money than it, but I think that you know between two and five million, if you build this the right way, there's no reason why you need to raise more unless you're looking for inorganic growth at some point. I do think that investors. Uh, who invest in media and understand media are a different breed in the sense that they've either worked in media, come out of it, or they're in New York just because New York has so much media right, right. And, uh, and they just interact with a lot of you know mm-hmm. media entrepreneurs and media in general. Um, they're hopefully more you know alternative investment opportunities coming up in media, whether these are foundations like the Knight Foundation that invests in startups in the media industry. Knight Foundation is a big... Uh, media um, organize uh, nonprofit that inve- that 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 has endowments and and invests in a lot of media companies, uh, large and startups as well. A um, uh, lot of local media they invest in. Mm-hmm. So um, you know those types of organizations uh, exist and hopefully will create a larger ecosystem that you know f- funds money into 
uh, some media companies to 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 do the right types of experiments to see what what works, what doesn't. Um, Mm-hmm. And and then of course some of the larger players still invest in media. I think the the seed and and angel community plays a huge role here, um, in terms of at least seeding these ideas, because um, you know obviously some of the institutional players will not play at that level with media companies or most of the media companies they won't, unless you have a track record, um, or, or a huge track record. So um, I do think venture has a has a role, but. You know, inve- uh, the founders have to be uh, realistic on what venture can do, or what, what uh, VCs are looking for, investors are looking for, versus how they build their company. If you were seed investing these days, instead of running Skift, not that you would want to, I would never uh, be an <laughs> investor. <laughs> but if you were looking at the media landscape, yeah, here we are, 2017. Would you be looking at? skift-like opportunities to go deep in and quote-unquote own new niches or how would you think about it yeah i yeah i have actually thought about it in the past and i and um if i were to ever become an investor which i keep saying i won't i do think that business information and this is a larger sector than just just media i think business information information of use to professionals um is a category that's that is vast and has uh, tons of niches and has lots of opportunity whether through media whether through data whether through mix of it whether through potentially other formats but business information in general is a sector that i would i would love to invest in long term if i were to do it um could be media skift like companies in other sectors um, could be data services like CB Insights and others that that I'm I'm a big fan of, uh, and and most of of them play in less in the BI space. Just this focus more on the CI, essentially the competitive intelligence space, um, instead of business intelligence space. Um, uh, business information, my definition is really CI, which is competitive intelligence, not so much BI in which companies, there are millions of others, you know, dashboard like Domo and others are all in the BI space. So I'm not talking about those types of companies. I'm talking about competitive intelligence um, companies. Bloomberg would be a big example, obviously, of it. Uh, you know, uh, McGraw-Hill, whatever they're called these days, I think they, they broke up many of their parts of the company. But companies like those are the large side of things and companies like ours and the smaller sides of things. But also, you know, companies, as I mentioned, like CB Insights and others that are primarily data players um, that have media extensions to it. I think, you know, that's the sector I would play in, whether it's, um, whether it's in travel or sports, which is a sector that I particularly like long-term um, education in which many of the business media slash uh, intelligence information companies have been started in the education space. Um, uh, many other sectors. I think that, 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 um, even some of the more mature sectors, there's just a lot of information. A lot of companies are are doing it. There's a company called Industry Dive, and based out of DC, that I particularly like as well. The guy's a friend of mine, the founder. They're doing very good work in sectors like like waste material industry, and um, you know, tons of opportunity. Large industry, not sexy, right. um, but you know, opportunities abound. So you know that's that's the type of there was a uh, one of my favorite newsletters used to be and I well favorite example I was not a reader by any means of this guy 
single guy, this one guy, old, older gentleman who used to go from factory to factory. This was in the, during the recession. And he used to just index all the material that's there f- to sell as scrap. And it was a weekly newsletter. And he had like a huge following in that world of people looking to buy, um, you know, whatever, scavenged, I don't know what the phrase is, material. And so that's a media business. That's an information business, information business. You know, so, um, and it was, if you looked, I forget, this was a few years ago, I even forget the name, but their site looked like it was created in 1996 or 97. And this was like a few years ago when I last checked it. Um, I don't know if it still exists, but it was just a fascinating business to me. So that's really what I care for. Right. No, that's very interesting. Thank you. I'm sure a lot of the investors listening are taking notes. Going broadly for a minute into the media industry now, like we see Mashable laying off people, GigaOM kind of folded, obviously Yahoo. Um, yeah. Medium is having some interesting moments. Gawker, obviously. I believe BuzzFeed missed some revenue projections recently. What, right. what, do, you, what do you think is going on and what's what's happening in the media sector now yeah i think that uh, it's a it's a difficult one to answer because there's just so many threads in it but um and i'm also embedded so deep in this stuff that that is hard for uh but um i think that some of the larger media there's there's a need for large media to have large impact new york times wall street journal washington post buzzfeed to the extent that they're serious about news long term, to have impact, especially in a in a very polarized world like now, to make real investigative type media that has impact on policy and you know the fate of the world long term. So there's definitely need for that. There's need so and some of those companies that are doing are uh, have you know if not thriving have figured out a way to create their future new york times is an example washington post is an example um wall street journal tbd however long murdoch has interest in it it will stay um ft potentially has figured out so some of those types of companies have figured out their future some of the news organ like tv news organizations like cnn and others um you know, people have uh, views on whether they're legitimate news, but like their value today is is very important right now in an environment like now. Um, so they and and you know they have a long life ahead of them. Um, the me the middle is where a lot of the problems are. Anybody who doesn't have um, scale, but is not small enough either. Um, and doesn't have a defined core of user base um, that people will come to on a return basis um, versus you know them showing up in a feed of on Facebook or Instagram wherever. Yeah. Um, I think they have challenges for most part. Media doesn't implode. The thing, the interesting thing about media is media companies. Um, don't su- most of the media companies don't suddenly shut down. They had they have a slow burn to death, um, <laughs> yep. and they stick around for a long time uh, in their in their death spiral. And so um, and that's you know potentially what you're seeing in the in the in the middle uh, that will continue to happen. And then on the smaller side, people that are focused like ours that are that are small in the scheme of things. Um, that have figured out a defined audience that people keep coming back to, uh, that are building, you know, real what I call daily utility value for their users. You know, a bit like software, almost. Um, and um, 
you know those will those will obviously do well um, well for for the people that you know by the by the metrics of our what what, what we define as well and um, you know profitable companies that are that are growing at a steady pace and um, but the middle is where most of the challenge lies. And also, you know, plat- what's happened, this is no news to anyone, is that pl- uh, the platforms have such a huge grip on, and platforms like Facebook have such a big grip on the larger companies that uh, the the larger companies can afford to play the platform game, but the middle uh, are sort of trapped in the platforms, and, and, and they're neither here nor there again. So that's really um, that's really the challenge for a lot of them. And then... You know the erosion of trust in general for media, unless you are a giant brand like New York Times and others that people instinctively know will report um, truth, um, or very small, very focused companies like ours. Uh, again, in the middle, uh, I mean, you know, again, the trust level is a, a long-term trust is a big issue. Yeah, and a lot of them are encumbered by enormous sums of venture money, frankly. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think that you know. In Mashable's defense, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think that uh, I still don't know where, they, where they're going, but um, you know, neither do I care at a certain point. But I think that um, laying off typically is not the worst thing in the world to do. I think this you you know very well. Obviously, having been in the um, in the in the startup world for a long time, you know, if they did lay off and they come out well on the other side, lean and mean. You know, is that a, is that bad or is that you know it, it may be bad news temporarily, but in the long term that was the best thing for them to do, hopefully. Right. So, um, in many ways, if if anything comes out of it, if a lot of these companies figure out their core, um, and like you know, again, I'll come back to Mashable. They they've now saying we are the brand for super fans. I don't know what that means, but at least it seems like they know what that means. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if they found their core and and you really that's what they are, then you know, more hopefully they'll do well. Rafat, this is this has been tremendous. I, I I appreciate you giving us all this time today. I know you've got a lot going on, but um hopefully we'll have you back uh in a year or two to to reflect on on what's going on at Skift and what's going on in the landscape, but I want to thank you. Uh it's a real pleasure having you on, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Show you around, give you a taste of the business, you know?